We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Women Worth Knowing. My name is Jasmine Allnut, and I'm joined once again today with our friend... Kathy Gilbert, I'm here. <laughs> I'm so happy Yay. to be here. Yes, we're having fun with this. Um, and so as you probably remember, uh, Cheryl's not with us right now, but she gave us permission <laughs> to go ahead and talk about a gal that we love, Madame Guyon. And uh, kind of considered a, a mystic, but also, my goodness, as we're going to be seeing, quite a reformer, really, in a way. She stayed in the Catholic Church, but she was quite a reformer. And quite an influencer. Oh, my gosh. Big time. Big time. So, yeah. So you hopefully remember when we left off, she was, uh, you know, just starting to really share and uh, put out there these these thoughts that were pretty revolutionary for uh, a lot of folks in the Catholic Church, these ideas that salvation came by faith in Christ and through grace alone, and you could have a personal relationship with Jesus and experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit working and operating in your life. These are things we take for granted, but the church at that time, which was very much works-based and go to the Pope, go to the priests, pray to Mary, pray to the saints, you know, that, that was the mentality of the church. They did not like this at all. And some of this had to do with uh, just the way um, political conditions were, well, political and religious conditions were in France at the time. You know, after the Reformation, it was still really hard for Europe to come out of this idea that church and state were united. So you see a lot of religion and politics mixing together, and it was really unhealthy. And certainly this time in France, it was like very much a mingle of, of King Louis Fourteenth and the church, the Catholic yes. church in France. Yes, because Louis, I'm glad you mentioned him. Remember I mentioned him before, the Sun King, this absolute monarch. He actually was pretty greedy. He wanted to rule all of Europe. He thought he could really just, I don't know, somehow conquer Europe. And in order to do that, he needed the blessing of the Pope, who still mm -hmm. had quite a bit of influence, even though obviously this is post-Reformation, times have changed. But he figured, hey, if I get the Pope on my side, we can really get to work here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so what he did was he revoked something called the Edict of Nantes, which had been uh, established, I believe, in 1598, which had given freedom and toleration to the Protestants in France. He revoked that to make the Pope happy and said, mm -hmm. everybody in my nation has to be Catholic. So Madame Guyon is at a time when, whoa, there's just a lot of overreach of the government mm -hmm. into the church to try to oppress the Protestants and suppress anything that didn't sound completely Catholic. So this was a real volatile time for anybody who didn't toe the line. And so uh, the bishop in uh, where Madame Guyon was, if you remember, she's, you know, with Father Lacombe, they're, they're doing all this ministry, helping the poor, but she's also preaching and sharing with people and leading people into real relationship with Christ. And, and so even though the bishop appreciated her good works, he started to realize, uh-oh, she's not towing the line. Right. She's not saying the proper Catholic things. And so he first tried a scheme to denounce her. And to still somehow get all of her money for yes. the—oh, he was a creep. I mean, these yes. guys were horrible. Ultimately, though, that didn't work. And so he just basically called her and Lacombe heretics right. and kicked them out of his diocese. Right. And so did they go to Versailles from there? Oh, no, not yet. Not yet. So from here on, though—but she did have to start kind of hopping around a yeah. little bit more. And so from this point on, she starts to that was just the, an early taste of that persecution that mm -hmm, she's going to start mm -hmm. feeling because of um, her views that were considered almost Protestant. I mean, people just like I said, they just saw Lutheran red flags in a lot of what mm -hmm. she was sharing. 
Um, not just from the bishop. He wasn't the only one who was going to get on her case, but her own half-brother, Father Lamothe, he came after her too. And so, as her biographer put it, Madame Guyon was starting to be in the Roman Catholic Church, but not of it. Yes. <laughs> and she chose not to remove herself. She chose That's to stay. Very interesting. Because she felt God had called her to stay at the church and to stay in France. Mm. Even as much as she got persecuted, she did not feel that she would honor the Lord by leaving because she could have been safe if she left. You know, you're right. She could have. She had many opportunities. She had connections because she was in the aristocracy and she mm. could have bailed and been like, you know, I mm -hmm. just I'll just write and do things from afar. Right. <laughs> But she really and and one uh, one thing that uh, I admire about her is she trusted the Lord. Mm. As scary as it would get, and as, as much as they plot against her, and you would think, "Oh, Madame Gaillon, don't share about Jesus. Just keep quiet." Mm. You'd be tempted to do that, totally. and she never. She would just do whatever the Lord told her to do. Talk to whoever the Lord told her to talk to, and trusted Him with the consequences, even if it meant mm. danger. Mm, yes, absolutely. I love that. And we really are going to see that through this, you know, second episode here, mm -hmm. just that yielding. Mm -hmm. Even if she knew my life might be in danger, mm -hmm. this might cause a lot of problems. It's just really remarkable. So um, after she got kicked out of uh, Gex, remember the town near Geneva where she was serving? And I know I apologize again to those of you who speak French who are probably cringing. I know I'm not pronouncing these things right. <laughs> So uh, Father Lacombe encouraged her to go on a spiritual retreat. And it's so funny because she goes to have a little spiritual retreat. I think her daughter was in a convent. I can't remember the name of the town that they were in. But she goes to this place and she ends up starting a revival there because she just can't help but share, like you exactly. were saying, Kath, what God had done. And there was such hunger. Every, so every, much, people yes. were so hungry for a personal relationship with Jesus. And when she would express that, it was just unheard of. Mm. And they just responded. You know, you're right. That was something that really stood out to me was the um, just the thirst that people had. Yes. There was a desperation. The common people. Yes. And there were a lot of aristocrats also. Oh, yeah. She was she had favor with everyone. Mm. It, yeah. Unless they were in certain leaders, certain bishops. Yes. And got political. Very, uh, political. And, yep. There was very political, both in the in the church and out of the church. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So she's experiencing basically revival. And then, I mean, there were healings. The Lord was. And this mm -hmm. is like what you mentioned about the gifts of the spirit. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's just experiencing all of this. The Lord's just using her. And so uh, she also started writing during this time. Uh, and so it was over that period that the Lord began to speak to her about recording some of these things that he had shared with her and that he was pouring into her. And so, you know, she kind of spent for a few years a uh, period of trying to kind of steer clear from her enemies. And she ends up in a lot of different locations. After that spiritual retreat, she ends up in the town of Grenoble which was another real heathen hole. It was just a shady, not a great town. Um, but she stayed there for two years. And everywhere she went, even into the surrounding villages and stuff, the Lord just used her so much with uh, the common people. Like Kath said, there was a hunger, a spiritual hunger. And all these people are getting led to Christ. And the neat thing about her, you might remember I mentioned, but way back when she was a little girl, she had started reading the Bible. Yes. And she had developed such a foundation in the Word of God that when you read what she wrote um, in like spiritual letters to people or just the advice she gave, it was always biblically based. Yes. Very unusual <clears throat> for that time. Not based on the church fathers. Right. But on the Bible. Right. She would do a lot of writing. And the only book she would use for reference mm. was the Bible. Wow. Which is unheard of at the time, totally, too. Totally. Totally. 
I mean, that's just yet another aspect of her ministry that was controversial because, you know, for one thing, she's a woman reading the Bible, but it's like, wait, why aren't you quoting all the church fathers? Why right. aren't you using all of the church hierarchies? Or even the other mystics or the other saints. Yes. There was the 1600s. It was out there. Yes. But it was the Bible was her was her authority. That was her go-to. I love that. And she actually started writing Bible commentaries, right. and those would become bestsellers uh, eventually. You know, it's a fun little side note is that I think you might have even had something about this, about how the Quakers were influenced by her writings. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was after— th- Later, yeah, later, down the road. Yeah. But it just shows the compounding influence yeah. that she had. And we've talked a lot about different Quakers on our podcast yes. because the Lord used them really powerfully. So she also wrote other inspirational and theological works. Um, she really wanted, and I think you might have mentioned that she wanted to help the uneducated ordinary people learn how to pray. Yes. And, and so her most famous work was called A Short and Easy Method of Prayer. And that became super controversial because, again— She's claiming that you can go directly to God in prayer. You don't have to go through Mary. You don't have to go through the saints. You can go straight to God (laughs) for yourself. And that was published and extremely popular. Mm -hmm. And it alarmed many. I mean, they they persecuted her because of that book. This was the one, I think, that really got— It was the biggest one. Yeah, it was. That's what really got the ire of the church Mm -hmm. aimed at her. And um, like you said, because it just spread like wildfire pretty soon, it's going not just through France— but all over Europe. And some of that, by the way, I mentioned the quietism, that that was kind of her perspective on inward life. Right. And, and I think it's a title they gave it. Yeah, I think so, really. Yeah. If you read her writings, it's not necessarily what she was no. going for. She was just really wanting people it to It was the way they described having a, rela- a personal relationship with Jesus. Exactly. exactly. And depending on God alone and exactly. the Lord alone. I love that. And yeah, and then it got, you know, some of the trappings that they were accusing her of yes. saying something else, but that's really not what it was. She just wanted surrender to Christ and and being, you know, just again, yielded to him, which is what we would teach as well. <laughs> and so uh, because of writings like this, it's interesting. One biographer, Cheryl Forbes, she said that Madame Guillaume kind of established the devotional genre of Christian literature because, uh, you know, she was one of the key pioneers in devotional work. What mm. we call quiet time. They called quietism. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> but to have that time of intimacy with God, mm-hmm. to set aside, just to set aside time mm. to get in the word and, and pray and seek the Lord and receive and hear back from him, Yes, which was unheard of too. You mean you can hear from God directly? Yeah. He doesn't have to talk to through a priest no. or the Pope. Yes. Yeah. No. These things we take for granted, mm-hmm. you know, um, but back in the day, that was not a thing. So uh, again, the church leaders freaked out because these works are going all over the place. Uh, her teaching is spreading like wildfire. So they started having book burnings. They claimed she was a heretic. And so, um, you know, she's continues to travel. And, and really, basically, she's sharing the gospel. Yes. <laughs> you know, the true gospel in the face of opposition. Uh, she had some really harrowing travel experiences. And then after about five years of this uh, ministry, she finally um, submits to going to Paris with her brother. Remember, her brother is antagonistic. He's against her, Father Lamothe. But she kind of just accepted it as the will of God at this point. Like, I can't avoid this any longer. I'll go to Paris, even though this might lead to, you know, confrontation and issues. Mm -hmm. And I think that's there where they—was that their first arrest? Or is that— That's what's going to come out of this. Yes, and I think that they— not only did they arrest her, but they wanted to have her sign papers saying that she's a heretic mm-hmm. so that they had grounds with her own confession that she was a heretic, that her book was heresy. And they were determined to get her to sign those. And she she's not going to lie. Yeah. She wasn't going to lie and say that what God had given her was not from God. Exactly, because it really was. I mean, and, and we can recognize that because if you read what she wrote, it's like, this is in the Bible. Right. This is the This is from the Lord. 
She was so sound in her arguments. I yes. mean, it's really remarkable. But, but entrusting yeah. herself to the Lord. I yes. mean, she would say, no, I will not yield. Yep. Exactly. And they, you know, hated that. And it is really interesting how determined they were. What's interesting, too, with Lamoth is that, you know, he was motivated by politics and money. That's really what was at the heart of what was going on. Remember, he was her half-brother, and mm-hmm. he was bitter because uh, none of her inheritance had come to him for whatever reason. And so it was a money thing. He was also mad at Lacombe because Lacombe had warned Madame Guyon about him, mm-hmm. about Lamoth, And he wanted also to get in good with Louis XIV. I mean, yes. There was a political motivation here as well. And so it's just ugly how these people went after her. Again, not for spiritual reasons, because they really were concerned about, you know, the church and, and they weren't the Christians. Con- yeah, they weren't concerned about Christianity. Oh. No, no, it, it was, was it was political yeah. and money and politics. Yes, and selfish. It was so yeah. ugh. so. Lamothe first actually had Lacombe arrested and condemned, and uh, sadly for him, he ended up spending the last twenty-seven years of his life in prison, including the Bastille, which was a really horrendous yeah. prison. Yeah. And he died in an insane asylum. It's so yeah. tragic yeah. what happened to him. Yeah. Um, but uh, ultimately, Madame Guyon's teachings also, you know, were just too Protestant. And it's funny, um, her biographer said, it was her reliance on personal faith in the crucified, resurrected Jesus as the foundation for the Christian life, simple, unembellished faith that the Roman Catholic Church found to be the most objectionable. Isn't that weird? That is so, that's so sad. Yes. It's it's, so sad. It's like, how could the church be this far off that faith in Jesus is objectionable? But this is where it was at. And so, again, because the, the, you know, keeping everybody under Catholic teaching and doctrine, it kept everybody under control. Yes. It was a political. It was very much political. Financial and, Mm -hmm. yeah, all of that. So she was imprisoned finally, like I said, Lacombe first and then her, January 29th, 1688. And she made the most of her time while she was in there by starting her autobiography and writing a lot of letters to people. And this is interesting. While she's in prison, King Louis XIV, you know, here he is, this powerful king, he himself wrote to her and said, hey, look, I'll let you out of prison. All you have to do is let your daughter marry, oh, I can't remember, it was a marquise, a certain marquise. And then, hey, you can be free. Just, you know, let's just arrange this marriage. But she refused because he was an ungodly man. Yes. She didn't want her daughter to have to, you know, bear the brunt of that. I mean, she had an unhappy marriage herself. I don't yes. think, you know, she wanted that for her girl. And she was not going to be intimidated either. Yes. She was not going to be coerced or intimidated to do something ungodly. I love that. And she bore the consequences for that. And she was willing to bear the consequences of that. Mm, Yeah. And it's kind of like what you're saying earlier. She went in eyes wide open. She knows what's going to come from her refusal. But man, again, just the the integrity and the unwillingness to compromise. I mean, this is the Sun King. He's an absolute monarch, one of the most powerful rulers in the Western world at this time. And I, I just think, wow, what a what an example to us to take that kind of a stand in our Christian convictions, mm-hmm. regardless of the consequences. Mm-hmm. It's just really amazing. Like, what's that verse in Psalms where uh, it talks about who can be in the house of the Lord and it talks about he who um, swears to his own hurt and does not change? Yeah. Like, I know this is going to have consequences, but I'm going to have integrity before God, not man. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. So she was interrogated repeatedly. She was accused with like a, a forged letter. And that was awesome. You know, you read the interaction, the dialogue between her and these and her accusers. And she's like, well, there's no way this person wrote that letter because I happen to know that they were out of the country at this time. Right, exactly. I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> they had nothing on her. And in affirming her Catholic faith, she told uh, one of her accusers, Monsieur Poirot, not Poirot, not Hercule Poirot from <laughs> Agatha Christie. I think it's Piro. She said, truly, the Roman Catholic Church never intended that her children be dead in her forms, but rather that her forms be the expression of spiritual life within them received through faith in Jesus Christ. 
she's like, but I, I, I'm just getting back to what the heart of the church is. This yes. is what the gospel is. I mean, God never intended us to just be in these rituals that made no sense that we mindlessly perform. He wants relationship with yes. us. And the word of God is true. And I know that the word of God was in the Catholic Church, and she took it as the truth and the heart of God, and she lived it. That is, And a, she wanted yes. to get the Catholic Church back to that. It was, she certainly, that's what she encouraged mm. others to do, yes. is to really take the word of God for what it is, for what it says. I love that. And so really, because of that, I'm glad you mentioned that, because of that, her accusers really didn't have anything on her no. because she was going to the Bible. And, yeah. and, and so, I mean, she could just poke holes in all of <laughs> their accusations. So uh, eventually she was released. She had some aristocratic sympathizers who were able to pull strings with the king. And around this time, King Louis was also realizing that his methods of suppression were not working on the Protestants and on the dissidents. And so he brought in a guy named Father Fenelon to try to win them over. Right. And so Fenelon, he's pretty cool. He was intrigued by Madame Guyon. Yes. And wanted to meet with her. And they met, I think it was after her second imprisonment that uh, they had met. And uh, so Fenelon was just quite a character himself. I mean, mm. quite a godly man. He just loved the Lord. He had a mm. personal relationship with Jesus. He loved sharing uh, the gospel with people in his parish. And he just really bore witness with what Madame Guyon was teaching. Mm. And they became very close friends. And as a result of that, he started suffering persecution. Yes. Yeah. Because when he realized, you know, after meeting with her, it says from the first day he met her, he became a champion of Christian theology and Bible doctrine. Mm -hmm. Like you said, he already had that heart. And then mm -hmm. Madame Guillon just kind of guided just, him right to the word. Yes. And from there, he, yep, he realized, uh-oh, I'm kind of at variance with stuff going on here in the church. Right. And somehow, you know, during this time, he did manage still to kind of continue his rise in the ranks. Uh, he had favor uh, with the king because he tutored his grandson. Mm -hmm. And then he was ministering at the Palace of Versailles. But, you know, more and more, he starts to speak up in defense of Madame Guyon, and that's going to get him in trouble, mm -hmm. like Kath said. So, uh, you know, he's receiving spiritual guidance from Madame Guyon. And then the king's mistress, who later was his secret wife, kind of a, you know, one of those dumb political intrigue things. Um, she started to receive spiritual guidance from Madame Guyon. There's like this whole letter that she wrote about her emptiness spiritually, that she's like, I had everything. She's like, I'm beautiful. I have all of this going for me. I've had the king wrapped. I mean, really had the king wrapped around her little finger. Um, but she just felt so empty. And so Madame Guyon kind of guided her into a uh, relationship with Jesus. Wow, wow. And she opened a Catholic school for girls that uh, Madame Guyon ta uh, taught at and stuff oh, like that. Wow. So that was part of the whole process of her, um, you know, bringing education to the commoners and stuff. Yes. Yeah. And making a difference in the lives of women. Yes. And young women. Yes. And it actually, wouldn't you know it, another revival broke out. It was like everywhere Madame Guyon went, this revival happened, whether she meant to or not. And that alarmed people. It totally it, it did. alarmed them. Yes. And I think she had one more imprisonment. And yep. that was the scary, scariest one of all. This was the bad one. And this is where we were talking beforehand, that Bishop Bossuet, uh -huh. where he came in. Yes. And so they managed to uh, bring charges against her, even though there were false charges, and she was taken to the Bastille. Mm -hmm. And that was the scariest prison, I think, in all the land of France. And it oh, had it such was... a horrible reputation. It was, it was horrific. Yeah. yeah. It was just, I mean, you barely had... Food. Um, and nowhere to sit, just sat just on the ground. Cell. And it was the whole thing of solitary confinement. They were wanting to make you go insane. Yeah. And actually, Lacombe did. Yeah. That was, you know, he had, you know, kind of fallen apart, like yeah. I said, and ended up in an insane asylum. Yeah. And that was kind of the goal there was to, yeah, like Cass said, to really break 
To break you. Break you completely. And she was also um, continuing to be interrogated. Bosway, Bishop Bosway was, he was just evil. At first, he actually, when he went to interview her and critique her writings, he was like, wow, I don't see anything wrong with this. But political pressure. Again, mm-hmm, these people, mm-hmm. they were so corrupted by politics and money that, you know, that overrode their better judgment mm-hmm. and really any kind of spiritual consideration. Instead of taking a step back, like, wow, Lord, is there something you want to show me here? Mm-hmm. They were blinded. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he became re- relentless and a real jerk. And so when Madame Guyon, you know, she's she's in prison. Um, that actually happened in 1695, that, that second imprisonment. And then she ended up in the Bastille from there. And she was interrogated repeatedly. Um, at one point, she was interrogated 80 times for eight to 10 hours at a time. Mm. You know, just again, to try to try to break her and to say that she was a heretic. Yes. And get her to trip over her words or something. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. And um, condemn herself. Mm -hmm. That whole idea. And so at this point, it's really interesting, though. The king's mistress tried to intercede on Madame Guyon's behalf. But Madame Guyon said, no, she's like, you know, I don't want to thwart the will of God. I don't want to rely on the arm of man to Mm -hmm. save me. If God Mm -hmm. wants to get me out of here, that's fine. But but don't step in on my behalf. And so, again, that yielding, as we've been talking about, that yielding to the Lord's will, whatever that involved. And, you know, not in a weird way, but just really not wanting, you know, to have people interfere, but wanting God to do it. And so um, at this point, Fenelon was trying to defend her, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's seeing all that's going on here. And he'd been made the Archbishop of Cambrai, but he came to her defense because he saw Bossuet was so out of line, Mm -hmm. which it was so obvious, like you were saying, the false accusations and everything. And this is where he lost his position. His Mm -hmm. own works were severely critiqued. And even though all of the examinations of his writings were inconclusive, uh, just like with Madame Guyon, they had nothing really to pin on him, but to save face politically, the church said there were errors. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're not, they didn't even say what they were specifically. Mm-hmm. It was so vague. And so he ended up losing a lot of his position. But look, who do we remember today? Yeah. Fenelon today has mm-hmm. made quite an impact. And he so really has did. Madame Guyon. And because of their friendship, I think that really solidified his own walk with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's true, right? I, yeah. I was just talking in one of my classes. I was teaching for the School of Worship this morning. And just uh, that verse in First John where it says, he who does the will of God abides forever. Yes. And it just shows the eternality of what we do for the Lord. Yes. It was at CT Stud who said, uh, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ, Christ will, will last. last. Yeah. So that's the that's the truth of the matter. So uh, Madame Guyon spent about four years, I think, in mm-hmm. just the hellacious mm-hmm. Bastille prison. Mm-hmm. And then around 1702 or 1703, she was sent to her son's house near the town of Blois, mm-hmm. Blois <laughs> mm-hmm. to spend the rest of her life under house arrest until she died in June of 1717. And, and she, you know, here she is. She's considered so rebellious. But to the end of her life, she stated that she die, was dying submissive to the Catholic Church from which she had never had any intention of separating herself. And, you know, she was obviously not a heretic. I love that, like you mentioned earlier, her real call to stay in there, to hang in there in the church. And, you know, some people didn't. They broke away, like Martin Luther. And he was called by God to break away. But there were those who were called to stay and to try to bring reform from within. So, And I think during that time when she was in the cottage, that's when people would come to her from around the world. They came to see her. And uh, that she would receive these guests from 6 in the morning till 8 at night. And all she would do whether they were a friar or a priest or men of the world or wives or widows mm. or Quakers from Pennsylvania ah, had come. there they come. Uh, for a Scottish lord had come. Oh, wow. And to um, offer help, Protestants came from everywhere mm. because they wanted to know, what is the secret to your faithful joy? 
Wow. I love that. And she would share to the very end, just quietly would share to whoever came. Mm, That's so neat. I love that. Again, she was so attractive because she had that close relationship with Jesus and people wanted that. And you just think about what she did. You know, she she protested power and corruption of church hierarchy, advocating for the spiritual rights of the commoners, um, fighting for the scriptures to be available in the language of the people. You know, again, the, the Protestants were already doing that. Martin yes. Luther had translated the Bible into German and that had gone on from there. But in the Catholic Church, they were still using the Latin. And, yes. and, and she said, no, this isn't right. And the common people really resonated with her. Uh, one biographer said when she wrote or talked about suffering or temptation to despair, they knew and we know that her advice had been hard won. Mm-hmm. And so they knew like she understands she's walked this road of suffering. And so um, she ended up, like you said, people, not just Catholics, but Protestants, <laughs> all kinds of people came to her because it was about Jesus. It wasn't about what denomination you're in or any of that. It was about the Lord. She wrote on, quote, consolation, suffering, patience, active waiting. She emphasizes grace and the work of God, not the work of human beings. And so a lot of people actually described her as a female Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. And so, and her works are considered classics read by many across yes. the spectrum and seeking a deeper walk with Jesus like she had. And so... Uh, so many amazing writings and works. We'll post some of this on the website for you. And, uh, you know, I, one quote that I loved from her, she said, I have learned to love the darkness of sorrow. There you see the brightness of his face. And so she, you know, in her suffering, embraced it and saw Jesus in mm-hmm. even that. And I think that's what people resonated with. Right. And I think she did definitely fulfilled what the scripture says. She said mm-hmm. uh, the one of the scriptures in Galatians six fourteen said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom? The world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Wow. I think that that declares her life. That is a perfect summary. So did you have any other? Oh, and then I think, too, um, God had uh, assured her when she was going to be accused and what she was going to say, knowing that the interrogation was coming, Mm. that the Lord gave her John 19.11. He said in this John 19.11, Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has a greater sin. Mm -hmm. And I think that the previous part of that verse is take no thought for what you're supposed to say, Mm because God will give you that word. And that's what he did every time. And I think, too, uh, what she saw of this blessing of God in her life is Matthew 5, Mm -hmm. 11 and 12 says, blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted. Mm -hmm. And when they say all manners of all kinds of evil against you falsely for my namesake, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. That mm. is Madame Gail. That's beautiful. And I'm glad you're closing this with scripture because, uh, you know, she really did find her life in the scriptures. Right. That's what summed up, you know, everything that she um, preached, proclaimed, shared, counseled. It was all in the scriptures. And so I, I just love her. I mean, she's just like, she's like we said, in the Roman Catholic Church, but not of it. She yes. was just, uh, she was a reforming mystic and had such a beautiful impact for the kingdom. And humble. And humble. And submissive and trusting and the glory that she brings to his name. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. So that is the life of Madame Guillaume. Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as we did. (laughs) Even just reviewing her life, I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot how amazing she is. So No wonder she's our hero. Yes, that's right. So I'm so glad Kathy's been able to come in um, and share on the life of Madame Guillaume with me because, yeah, she's 
She's one that we've talked about for years, like that we just love her. And so it's kind of fun to get to share this with you. So thank you for joining us today. And we want to know if you have a woman that you think is worth knowing as well, whether it's somebody you've read about or uh, somebody you know personally, maybe a missionary from your church or something, whatever it might be, please feel free to write to us and let us know. And we are compiling a list of of these things. And we're trying to find a way like how we could weave these into some episodes in the future. And so don't worry, if you have written to us, we did see that. (laughs) And we're getting to it. Uh, But you can write to us at wwk at cccm.com. That's our email address. You can also go to the women.cccm.com website or to graciouswords.com and find a link for us there as well. So with that, thank you again for joining us on another episode of Women Worth Knowing. I'm Jasmine Allnut. And I'm Kathy Gilbert. (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.